Welcome to the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Felicity Nelson. A few weeks ago, you might remember that we collaborated with The Guardian to break a story about pathology companies who were asking GP landlords for 50% rent reductions. So this story started to develop a bit and we published another story this week where we spoke to a lot of practice managers in GP clinics who said these negotiations were not going so well. The pathology providers were not really being very transparent about how much money they'd lost. So it was really hard for GPs to negotiate with them about rent reductions. Some practice managers told us that they'd started to make offers like, oh, how about we drop your rent by 20% or how about we give you some other kind of temporary financial arrangement to ease cash flow. But the pathology companies were not really meeting them halfway. And some GPs said that they weren't really negotiating at all. They were just sort of rejecting a lot of things out of hand. Obviously, there's probably a lot of pathology companies who are doing the right thing here, but the GPs and practice owners who were not happy were the ones who were coming and talking to us as reporters. In a few instances, the pathology providers were simply paying half the rent that was due without first reaching an agreement with their GP landlord, and some pathology labs were playing hardball in these negotiations by threatening to break their lease if the GP clinic did not agree to forego rent. And this is something that pathology clinics are legally entitled to do because a lot of them have premature termination clauses in their rental contracts. And then there's another complication, and that's if the pathology company did break its lease using this clause, that would effectively reduce the rent that a GP landlord could collect to zero. And this is because there's currently a government ban on new pathology lab leases being established where a previous lab closed. So these negotiations are really hard. And some GPs are just folding, some GPs are holding their own. What we're hearing from lawyers and business experts is that GP practice owners really shouldn't back down in their rent negotiations with pathology providers, even the large ones. And even if the pathology companies seem to have more bargaining power, it's still important that GPs stand up for themselves. I think it's probably useful for GP clinics to hear what lawyers and business advisors have been telling me. And so today I'm going to speak with three experts and bring you some general ideas and advice. I mean, obviously, this is just general information. Uh, You really need to speak to your lawyer or your business advisor to get specific advice for your situation. Please get in touch with me at felicity at medicalrepublic.com.au if you have a story to share, as I'll be following this along. So first up, I'm speaking with Brooke Glastonbury. She's a principal lawyer at McPherson Kelly in Sydney. Ms. Glastonbury, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So to start off with, uh, what do you think GP practice owners should do if they get one of these requests for a 50% rent reduction from their co-located pathology lab? Yeah, I think the most important thing to start with is just to remember that um, when someone asks for something, it doesn't mean that another party has to have to give has to give that to them. So um, the first piece of advice that I've been giving my clients and I give to any GP out there is uh, to to stop and think about what what the request is that's being made. Um, there's no obligation on you in terms of time frame uh, in responding or whether you've got to say yes, no or counter offer back to pathology lab, um, the companies, and or, or whether it's any other um, licensee or sub-lessee. Um, at the end of the day, you're a landlord. Um, the, the 
the mandatory code of conduct and legislation that's now been put into place in different states um, has been designed around uh, protecting, you know, the, the small, the SME uh, type entities and not necessarily the large corporate groups who um, are outside the eligibility criteria of, of the, the uh, mandatory code of conduct. So, the, my answer to that is don't just accept it or, or shy away from it even as well. Um, the intention is to try and preserve the relationship that of the landlord and tenant uh, beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so in, I mean, in most cases, these pathology companies don't satisfy the eligibility criteria of the National Cabinet Mandatory Code of Conduct. So um, in a sense, they're, they're, any negotiations with them is outside of that um, and parties are not obligated to actually have to negotiate in saying that the government ha is encouraging all landlords and tenants to, to renegotiate the rent to, the, to have an understanding as to what the losses are. So uh, in New South Wales, though, um, more recently in the last couple of days, there has been an introduction of legislation which um, does appear to have a loophole in, the, in that legislation which may uh, require that if any party to a commercial lease, whether or not they would otherwise have been caught under the mandatory code of conduct, um, they may actually have to come to the come to the table and renegotiate their rent with, with a tenant or with a landlord if it's the landlord approaching the tenant. Um, but the, the most important thing is that uh, there's got to be substance behind those re any reductions that are being requested um, and it's not just a flat 50% reduction which um, I hear that a lot of the larger pathology companies uh, are asking for. And let's just talk through what happens in you know, a renegotiation of a, of a lease. Um, so what are the kinds of things that GPs uh, should be asking the pathology labs to be providing? Um, should they be asking some hard questions? Um, is it about, you know, how do you make sure that you preserve the relationship so you don't come off, you know, too hard at the start or you don't ask too much? Um, have you got any ideas around that? Yeah, I think it's important from the outset that for the GPs to um, not stand down from in, in responding to, to these larger pathology companies or, or other subtenants. Um, and the, what I would suggest in the first case is to ask for paperwork um, and financials to and, and for the for the for the lab um, the pathology lab companies to be transparent um, in providing that information. I mean, a party can't be expected to agree to a reduction in rent if they're not being provided any hard evidence of um, of the tenants, for example, their loss in turnover or trade. So um, it's really important to to ask for that information, and whether that's um, you know the finan the financial year 19's uh, financials, uh, whether it's forecast for the next three months six months or nine months as to where they think they're going to be um, and also, you know, the month-to-month the -month actuals of, of where they are in terms of their financials and turnover. Um, if, if the pathology lab companies can provide that, then that puts, you know, it, it's transparent then so the GP can, can get an understanding as to what's their reduction been, uh, what's their loss in turnover been and then couple that with and, and compare that with the GP's uh, reduction in turnover and, and the expenses that the GPs are also going to be ha having to continue to make uh, for those particular practices. Um, and if all that information can be laid out on the table, um, the intention is for whatever loss to be shared between the, the parties um, rather than one person being ex completely exposed and another person not losing out on anything or getting, um, in some situations, getting a financial gain out of it.
Um, and what I've heard in my conversations with GP practice owners is that they've asked for that information um, and they haven't received a response at all. Uh, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, so in that situation, I would simply say uh, don't come to any agreement with with the pathology companies until you get that information from them. Um, if they're expecting uh, a concession um, by way of a rent reduction or a rent waiver, um, as I said, a party can't be obliged to provide or agree to something like that when they when they're flying blind. So if 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 the tenants want a waiver or a reduction or a concession, they've got to be transparent enough to provide that information to um, enable the the landlord in this situation, the GPs, to make an educated um, offer or come to an educated agreement to ensure that the burden is shared equally between the parties. And in some instances, and I know this is fairly rare, um, pathology companies are not being transparent um, and what they're doing is they're just paying 50% of the rent um, Mm -hmm. and that's it and they're not even coming to the table to talk about it. Uh, Is there any legal avenue to um, stop that happening if you're a GP practice owner? Yeah, I think the important thing there to remember is depending on which state you're in um, as to what legislation applies, um, but whether the mandatory code of conduct applies, sorry, if the mandatory code of conduct applies, it requires the parties to act in good faith uh, and negotiate in good faith. By not providing that information to the landlords and simply just paying a reduced rental, they're not negotiating in good faith, they're really not negotiating at all. So I would say that that would put them, if if they are under the mandatory code of conduct, I would say that they're losing the protection that that mandatory code of conduct would provide to them because they're not negotiating in good faith. Looking at outside of that for the tenants who aren't covered by the mandatory code of conduct, and once again, this will depend on the relevant state um, legislation, but for example, in New South Wales, there's, there's no obligation on, or prior to the legislation, there was no obligation on um, a landlord have to have to agree to any concessions for rental reductions. Um, so to the extent that uh, the tenant who's not protected by the code or relevant state legislation, if they fail to pay their rent, they're otherwise in default of their lease. So they're not protected by the legislation or the code. So essentially in that respect, the landlords have the ability then to... Um, enforce their rights under the lease uh, against those tenants. Um, That obviously raises then another question as to, well, does that actually help the GP practice owners uh, in if they terminate um, a lease with the pathology company? so in some instances, it might be a good thing. They might have been thinking about getting rid of that pathology company a while ago, and this is a good opportunity to do that. Uh, but in other instances, it's not necessarily a desirable outcome either. And I think that's what a lot of GPs are facing. Um, And I think because of this, uh, I think there's a memoratorium by the federal government on, um, which has basically blocked new pathology labs from setting up where a Mm. different pathology lab has folded. That means that GPs are really facing this choice between 50% rent or zero rent, because if they do enforce their rights and they manage to get rid of their pathology lab, that's not being cooperative. Um, then, you know, they can't get a new one in, so they're down to zero rent. Um, And I think that's really where GPs are are struggling. Like, they don't think that they have uh, the negotiating power to really enforce their rights under their lease. Um, In that situation, is there anything that they can do? 
Yeah, look, there's the there's mediation provisions in under both the Mandatory Code of Conduct and the relevant legislation in each of the states. Uh, so I would suggest that if it comes to a point where um, the the tenants, whether they're the pathology companies or other tenants, if they're not providing the information to enable a good faith negotiation to be taken place between the two parties, um, it's something that's going to end up having to be mediated and resolved that way. Um, obviously, you continue to accept whatever rent is being paid. You don't come to an agreement as to whether that's whether you're waiving that or agreeing to any kind of reduction um, and reserve your rights in all respects. Uh, and then if, if it comes to a point where you need to um, have outside resources assist in, in the mediation or trying to come to that negotiation with the uh, pathology companies then, or as I said, or any other tenants in, in this situation, um, then I would suggest that that's where they need to be. But don't don't take that as a um, as a force um, force position to have to accept the fifty percent reduction in rent. And I've heard some GP practice owners are coming up with sort of creative options that they're putting forward to their um, pathology lab. So you know, some kind of def- rent deferment coupled with maybe they'll they'll throw in a few extra bonuses or something um, just to sort of sweeten the deal. Would you suggest that GPs who are coming up with those creative solutions talk to a lawyer about it or is it okay to just sort of send a few emails back and forth and work something out? I definitely, I mean, as much as I don't want to increase, don't want to um, increase the cost of, of landlords or tenants in doing this, um, because there is so much grey area in um, in all of this at the moment, there's so many questions that remain unanswered, um, and people not and because it's so new, people not necessarily knowing what their rights and obligations are. I can't stress the importance of going to a lawyer and having this documented um, to make sure that you're not increasing the grey area of um, of what you think you've agreed. So um, we we see it quite often that. Um, you know, whether it's GPs or, or, or other tenants um, in terms of managing your own commercial contracts. Um, you know, they're good at what they do in running their businesses, but the, the commercial contract side of things, um, if they try and do that themselves, doesn't necessarily uh, put them in, in best position in the future. So if they are going to be coming up with any kind of arrangements like this with, with the pathology companies or any other tenants, it's best to, have to speak to your lawyer and have it documented correctly so that you're not where you're not thinking that you're giving, say, for example, a, um, a three-month 50% uh, deferral for rent where the tenant might think that that's a three-month 50% complete waiver of rent. So you want to make sure that it's all documented correctly and um, and in writing, thinking, you know, in the future, what if you do actually want to sell your, your business or or the practice premises? You need to make sure that everything's documented and you've got the benefit of the arrangements and the agreements that you um, come up with with these, with these tenants. And one final question, um, when GP landlords start to ask pathology labs to give them some information about revenue loss, um, is it important that they get that as a figure that represents the revenue loss for the entire company or is it important to get it for just the collection centre that's co-located within that GP practice? It's actually both um, and that in terms of um, the the corporate group that the pathology companies are part of, that will help identify whether the code of conduct um, 
in uh, the code of conduct applies. So the eligibility criteria on the 50 million actually sits at the corporate group level. Uh, but in terms of like, the eligibility for the JobKeeper program, the like, that is the specific premises. So it's important to get both and to get an understanding as to what entity uh, you're at, you're dealing with, and what uh, relevant code or, or legislation uh, is also applicable to those um, those conversations. Sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, that's going to be so helpful and interesting um, for our GP listeners who are facing this this particular challenge. Um, and I, I know a lot of them just have no idea what to do. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Next up, I'm speaking with a lawyer from Victoria, Stephanie McGrath. Stephanie is a senior associate at Robert James Lawyers. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Felicity. Thank you for having me. What do you think GP landlords can do if pathology labs aren't coming to the table to negotiate and just start paying 50% less rent? So it's important to realise there are two or three pathology providers in particular that hold quite a large percentage of the market and at the forefront of these issues any landlord when considering what they can do needs to keep in mind what outcome they want to achieve commercially and do do they want to keep a tenant once COVID is over And if not, if they were to lose that tenant in the short term, what is the likelihood of being able to re-tenant that property? And GPs have a, a unique situation where a moratorium has been announced until the 30th of September that a replacement pathology provider or, or ACC cannot or rather will will not be approved for the same premises if it vacates uh, prior to September during this COVID period. So those things need to be kept in mind. Uh, Having said that, from a legal standpoint, what can landlords do? They can, after having a solid understanding of their legal rights under both the lease and the code of conduct, uh, if tenants unilaterally refuse to pay their rent that is a breach of any lease and the the breach procedures can be followed that is a legal perspective but again GP landlords need to consider what will be economic uh, for them and commercial in the long run and those factors really are subject to who the tenant is and whether there's a likelihood of being able to relet that property if it was to become vacant. However, as a first step, if it's possible to put the tenant on notice of breach, if it does constitute a breach of that lease, that may be one avenue to then commence negotiations with the tenant but as already stated, it, it it would need to be subject to the the balance of the terms of the lease 
and whether if the tenant received that breach notice and then decided themselves to terminate the lease because they could by one month's notice, where would that leave the GP landlord? And so each case needs to be assessed based on its own merits, both from a commercial perspective and subject to what that landlord's legal rights are because each lease and each premises is very different. And I would say to landlords to be very careful about how they respond, especially in these initial stages, particularly with open letters, which can be used as evidence of an agreement, even if that was not necessarily the intention. Uh, no doubt at this point, you would only be wanting to enter into non-binding negotiations. And so it's important that any responses are carefully prepared with legal rights in mind. Um, and one last question. Um, what seems to be bothering GPs is uh, the fact that they feel like they need to maintain a really good relationship with their pathology provider, particularly in circumstances where they, they can't really get a new one in, given that the government's put a block on, um, you know, establishing new pathology providers where previous ones um, failed. Um, so in light of that, does asking hard questions about revenue reductions or, you know, getting a lawyer to, to come in and do some heavy-handed negotiations or, um, you know, sending emails or letters with some quite serious language, do you think that that has the potential to damage your relationship? And is there a way to start a dialogue with you know, some actual legal advice in there without kind of um, potentially damaging the relationship with the pathology provider? So letters from your lawyer shouldn't damage any relationship if the letter is written well uh, and not just from an antagonistic uh, perspective where it just appears the the doctor wants to fight the, the the tenant, which wouldn't be the case at all. So any legal letters aren't a problem. It, it's all about how they're written. Um, letters could be prepared by the GP's lawyer and uh, adjusted by the GP themselves so that it um, to help them in responding to their tenants if they prefer that the response came directly from them. As a starting point, you have to consider which tenant you're dealing with and what the relationship is currently. As I understand, letters have been sent without any prior approach to landlords. Um, so where those tenants do not fall under the code of conduct, I think that landlords absolutely should be requesting some justification for how the tenant has... Or, uh, come to the conclusion that a 50% rent reduction would be fair and if if those letters refer to reasons such as dropping turnover then it is well within the landlord's rights to request substantiation of that allegation where the letters have not provided any justification or reasoning 
then the response should be based on the landlord's legal rights under the lease, as it would appear that the tenant does not have a legal basis to seek the rent relief. If the tenant does fall within the code, then the landlords need to be mindful of that in their response. And it may be possible to have a roundtable meeting, somewhat like a mediation, to come to a resolution that would be fair for both parties, whether that's rent waiver with a rent deferral for the COVID period, which will result in the landlord keeping their tenant after this hard period is over. Um, great, and I think that's going to be really helpful advice for GPs um, thinking about how to proceed um, when they've received a you know, phone call or, or a letter just asking for a significant rent reduction. Um, I think a lot of them are feeling a bit shocked and taken aback right now, so it's, it's great to get some insight from you, Stephanie. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, Felicity. Thank you for the opportunity. And finally, I've got Graham Lawrence on the show. Graham is the National Head of Business Services at Health Project Services, a company that mentors GPs on business matters. Graham, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome, Felicity. And what would you recommend that a GP who's got this letter in the mail asking for a 50% rent reduction, you know, what's the first thing they should do? Um, first thing is uh, choose whether it, it is applicable to them. Um, under the government's um, uh, framework for considering rent reductions. It actually mostly considers it in the opposite direction, and that being that there's a small tenant and a, a larger landlord. So in this instance, the COVID-19 framework from government doesn't even apply. So A, if you like, a starting legitimate response from a GP would be to reject it if it's one of the major pathology providers. Um, it doesn't mean that that's what I recommend they do, but it's certainly a valid response, if you like. So if you put that in context, it gives the GP some power in the negotiation because, you know, if you like, the, the premise is flawed. They don't even need to engage in the, in the response to pathology. Um, having said that, if they want to maintain a good long-term working relationship with pathology, I would um, start with considering what is the impact on them. Um, if you look at the government's framework, uh, it, it supposes that if, there's a, if there is truly a 50% reduction in pathology revenue then, um, and pathology is a smaller tenant, i.e. less than $50 million turnover, then the landlord and the tenant would come somewhere to a 25% reduction. That's, I guess, what the the framework for dealing with leases um, encompasses. Uh, so I would, uh, I guess, go back to the first principles. Should I make it apply to me? And if it does, the basis is I want a long-term relationship. I would then choose not to engage with pathology at 50% level. I would treat that as an arbitrary um, shot across the bowels, if you like, in the first instance. Mm. So... There you're talking about the government's code for commercial leases, um, which basically said that uh, if you're a company that's got $50 million turno turnover per year, 
or uh, up, and you up take to a 50, hit, 50 or up to or yeah, and then you, you take a hit in revenue. Um, you're allowed to sort of pass that on to your landlord um, in well, a proportionate you, way. But yeah, you're saying right. that these pathology companies usually uh, don't even they're not eligible for or they don't they're not that code is not applicable to them because they are larger than fifty million dollars turnover a year. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah, so that would be Helios and Sonic and Helios and companies Sonic of that and, size. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Even some of the smaller ones are likely to be um, of scale greater than that. So, but I've got no doubt that these businesses would have thrown out this fifty percent, knowing that they could justify it. Um, so, if if I was a GP, I'd probably um, be inclined to accept that that is a level of reduction, um, but but it's probably less than that. Um, if you ask pathology land to justify it, they, they are going to find a way to justify in a way that suits them. Um, given that the code is not applicable here, I would almost ignore it and, from the perspective of the GP, work out what is a reasonable response. Um, you know, I, I think pathology is probably going to be hurting in terms of their, their cash flow. Um, so I would be... I guess, careful about the, the scale of any claimed reduction. Um, I, if I was a GP, I would be looking at what can I reasonably offset. Um, so if you know, can I reduce my rent? And if I can reduce my rent by 20%, I can pass that on to pathologies and, and do some of these things, if you like, to, um, to begin a dialogue with pathology and say, well, you know, I, I can help out here, but I can't help out for that full amount because perhaps my business is hurting as well. Mm. Um, and another thing to consider is, and we've got some clients that have not um, not borne a, a rent reduction per se. What they've done is deferred the impact. So they have, for example, negotiated a 50% a reduction in rent for the next three months. But after that, rent goes back up to where it was and then a bit higher so that that loss in rent is covered off over um, the later periods and and um, this short-term impact on cash flow is is modified so in, and in that strategy they've not lost rent overall they've just um, uh, taken a bit of a cash flow hit in in the short term so there's there's no um, I, I guess there's no basis here that says the GPS need to forego any rent it could be simply um, I will negotiate a a, 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 some changes in how that's structured so your cash flow impact big pathology business is assisted but we'll recoup it um, in the later months so there's there's a whole range of things that they can consider not simply just a rental reduction and I guess if there is a rental reduction consider it in terms of what things the GP practice can secure for themselves that they can then pass on to pathology um, and and that way they maintain you know they're being seen and they actually are being good partners in this and and working with pathology to come up with a, a method and a number that they can assist pathology with and then work to that um, re, you know without simply saying well I've got to forego some rent here there might be a range of measures that they can employ mm, so it seems like what you're saying is this 50 percent number that's pretty much been sent out to all GP landlords as a blanket number um, across the country, you're saying that that 
that is open to negotiation, really. It's it's just the first number that's been thrown out there and that yeah, you know, I, something else can... Sorry, yeah, go on. <laughs> I, yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. The, the GP should almost not disregard that and, and move on. It, it, and if, if they do negotiate to 50%, it's really getting... Um, getting down and mat being on the same terms as what pathology wants. So um, I, I would choose to, if you like, ignore it for, for, for a negotiating principle. Sure. And I think what some GPs are worried about is that they've got, you know, a gun to their head. So GP providers in some instances can actually just walk out on the lease because it's written in the contract that they can leave at any time. Do you think that that's a false choice? Do you think that, you know, really they've got a bit more bargaining power than they might think. Just thinking this through, if um, a GP landlord has a contract that's that um, loose and pathology can exercise an option to walk out and, and abandon the collection centre, um, I would take a step back and understand what is the uh, long-term value of my business to pathology. So if you are a GP practice that is of scale, and I'm talking about um, greater than three to four FTE um, doctors, then um, you're going to be an attractive proposition to pathology to have a to maintain a collection centre. So, whilst that pathology business might be threatening that long term, they don't want to have a relationship that fractures. Um, so, I'd be I'd be advising those GPs to. Uh, whilst they might be in a poor position initially to recognise their underlying long-term value to pathology um, and to negotiate on that basis, which might be in that instance, okay, well, we will give you a, um, a short-term um, short rental waiver or rental deferment, but we want a long-term agreement um, when we come out of this that is X years at X level, do you know what I mean? So that they, they don't um, necessarily have to be at, at this position at some point in the future. Certainly, I think if you look at how pathology works, they, they like to be co-located in GP um, practices if they're of a certain size because it gives them the best opportunity to capture those referrals. It's of most convenience to the patient. So um, if, if they're not in there and it's a good practice of of reasonable size that's going to throw nice pathology referral base into the future, they're not going to want to upset that in the long term. So even if the lease is poor, I would still say to those GPs, you are in a in a long in a in a pretty strong bargaining position if you if you look at the long term and, and try to get some long term um, better structures or, or better outcomes, even if you trade something off in the short term. Mm. Well, that's been really interesting. It seems like GPs or practice owners just need to, you know, take a breath um, and just think a bit strategically, which is, seems to be what they're doing when I'm, I've been speaking with them. They, they're really not jumping or making any sudden movements. Um, they're thinking it all the way through to the bottom. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Um, that's, yeah, really helpful, and I'm sure GPs will really appreciate you having made the time to share those, um, all of that, that wisdom. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Felicity. Okay, I know that's a lot for one episode, but I wanted to get as much advice out there as I could for GPs who have found themselves in this rather tricky situation. 
Again, please contact me if you've got a story that you'd like to tell. I'm at felicity at medicalrepublic.com.au or you can reach me securely by setting up a Proton Mail email address and emailing felicity99999 at protonmail.com. Sorry, that was the only one I could find with the Felicity in it. You've been listening to The Medical Republic, a podcast for curious GPs. If you'd like to hear more of our episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or any podcatcher you like just by searching for The Medical Republic. Thanks for listening.